2 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. He's going to kill me for saying this, but I just want to, I feel like I need to just kind of put this out there. It's amazing how the enemy attacks when we're trying to serve. Uh, We're trying to exalt Jesus and the enemy's trying to find any way he can get in, any crack he can find. And so the last several weeks he's done that through our uh, audio and video stuff. He's just, he's got little, it's like little gremlins that we have that come up from time to time. And I just want to say Daryl does an amazing job week in and week out, practices and rehearsals and uh, extra time up here. And so uh, just, I know his heart, I know where he's at when he hears that sound and he's just understand that it's not him. Uh, we've been, we've practiced on these mics, we've used these mics, haven't changed anything, but for whatever reason today that there, Carrie's mic just decided it didn't want to cooperate. So uh, just want to tell you that and, and uh, just say how much I appreciate Daryl and his heart for making sure that we have a, a good worship experience as far as the audio and stuff like that goes. Um, so today all across the nation we're going to be celebrating senior adults. This is Senior Adult Sunday in the Southern Baptist Convention. And so it would have made sense for me to preach a message about enjoying your golden years and taking it easy and, hey, you've, you've lived a good life and you've worked hard and it's time just to put it into neutral and just coast to the finish line. Uh, that's not what we're going to do today uh, because that's not biblical. I don't find any retirement age for serving Jesus in the scriptures. I've looked and I've looked and I don't see anything in there that says once you cross this threshold, once you reach this age, Once you've served in the church this many years, you're good. Just relax and take it easy the rest of the time. Matter of fact, there are so many people in the Old Testament who serve the Lord into their hundreds. Into their hundreds. Now, we have a lady here who served the Lord into her 90s. She's 95. Miss Mary Henderson's been able to be here with us today. Uh, She has been serving the Lord this whole time. As soon as she came to Christ, she got active. She's been serving that whole time. And so what excuse do you have? What excuse do I have? When we have role models, we have examples in the Old Testament. We have people in our body that are serving the Lord. Uh, You know, again, you know, people in the Old Testament served in their hundreds, kind of like John Skipper has. And we just, you know, we have these examples... All kidding aside, here's the point. I believe that when you come to Christ, you ought to put on your work boots, you ought to put on your work gloves, you ought to get ready to serve. You ought to get ready to serve because that's what we have. We have a servant that is our king and he has called us to be servants as we follow him. Uh, It seems that the church has told people when they come to Christ just to chill out. Well, you've you've just come to Jesus you need to just take it easy. Don't, don't try to get involved really quickly. Don't try, to, don't try to get, you know, don't get real, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't study real hard and, and don't try to, don't worry about trying to teach and don't worry about trying to lead and don't worry about trying to, goodness gracious, don't try to disciple anybody. Just keep coming to church. You've just come to Jesus. Just keep coming to church. And there's this sit and soak mentality that we've had in the American church and it's not scriptural. It's, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, come sit and soak. He saved us to be servants, not tea bags. Amen. And we have this other lie that we tell, or this foolishness that we tell. We tell older people, all right, you've served long enough. Now you just, just relax. Just take it easy. Now keep writing them checks. <laughs> but we don't need you to be active. We don't need you to be serving. I want you to hear me. Both of those are, are false. They're fallacies because everybody who has come under the lordship of Jesus Christ has come under the lordship of Christ to serve Christ. 
You can serve Christ in a multitude of ways with a multitude of, of abilities and experience levels, but every single person under the sound of my voice, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are called to serve. And we need to be in our work boots until we're unable to serve. Mentally, physically, our bodies or our minds deteriorate to where we can't serve at all or until we pass away. Those are the only times that we get to get out of service. We've got some deacons who are serving who are young. We've got some deacons who are serving who are more mature, more elderly. We, it doesn't matter. We have a body of deacons who serve. We don't grade them on their age. We don't give them jobs because, well, we need to give this to the older guys and younger guys. No, when we have something that needs doing, we reach out to our deacon body. Why? Because they're called to serve. All of us can find a place to find gainful employment in the service of our king. So today, what I want to talk to you about is how to finish well. How to finish well. Obviously, if you're here, I hope and pray that you have come to Christ. By the end of this, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that if you haven't. But if you've come to Christ, then you're serving, right? And if you're serving, I want you to finish well. So if you would, let's stand and we're going to read 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 8. I know you just sat down, but that's okay. I love this passage of scripture, by the way, <clears throat> one of my favorites. So he says, before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly charge you, proclaim the message. Some translations there will say, preach the word. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Some would say in season or out of season. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. It's amazing that Paul wrote these words in the first century A.D. And now in 2021, it seems like every year that passes, his words become more prophetic. Amen? They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Now here's, he, he's talking to you, church. He's talking to you, follower of Christ, when he says this in verse 5. But as for you. What he's saying is don't be like them. You can't do what they do. You can't turn aside. You can't have your ears tickled. But as for you, keep a clear head about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Two things real quick there. If he says endure hardship, what do you know is coming? Hardship. Stop acting surprised. And number two, fulfill whose ministry? Your ministry. That means you have one. It's not my job to disciple your kids. It's your job. It's not my job to share the gospel with your neighbor and your coworker. It's your job. Why? Because it's your ministry. He's called you to it. He's equipped you for it. He's put you there for a purpose. I told y'all I'm about half fired up already now. <laughs> Verse 6. And this is Paul saying, again, he says, as for you, then he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Holy God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the impact it makes and the fact that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that today, God, you would move me aside and that you would speak, you would be heard, your spirit would move, and our people would respond in obedience because that's what you demand and that's what you deserve. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk to you about four points this morning, four things. Number one, what, what, what this passage tells us, number one, first off, in verses one through four, is to share Jesus. Share Jesus. Paul is closing this second letter by telling Timothy what he needs to do and what he can expect in his ministry. His charge to Timothy can be seen as the charge to every disciple of Jesus as well when you consider that it is a call to simply share Jesus. Paul's specific role is different than Timothy's. And Timothy's specific role is different than mine or yours. But all of us, in general terms, he's telling us we are all called to share Jesus with a lost world. Here, here's something that I wrote this two weeks ago or last week. Here's what I want you to get out of this. This is a simple sentence. Every member is a missionary. Every member is a missionary. Now, I'm not talking about church member. I'm talking about body of Christ member. So what I'm saying is if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a born-again believer, then you are part of the body of Christ. The scripture is very clear about that. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to meddle a little bit early in the sermon. If you're not a member of a church, if you're watching at home, if you're here, if you're not a member of a church, or maybe you're not attending the church where your membership is, I want to tell you that you need to be a member of a church. And you need to be active where you are a member. One of the most troubling things to me that I've seen in recent days is that you have so many churches who don't have memberships. They don't do it. Well, you just come and go and that's fine, whatever. I think there's a fallacy there. I think there's a problem with that because I think there's, a, there's value in, 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 in affiliation. When you, when you sign up to be a member of a church and you join with that body, you're saying, number one, I am part of the body of Christ. I am the church universal. But number two, I identify with a specific body of believers at a specific church location, and those are my people. And I'm going to serve with my people, and I'm going to love my people. I'm going to put up with some of my people. It may be me you're putting up with. He may mean that. I see Mac over there thinking, I've been putting up with him for four years. I'm about to burn the roads up to get to UAB to get away from him. That's fine. But while you're here, connect, serve. Get in it and be part of the membership. Be part of the body. And, and listen, every member of West Mobile Baptist Church is a missionary. I want to be clear about that. I'm telling you that the Bible says that every person in the body of Christ is a, is a missionary. Every member of the body of Christ is a missionary. But you can bet your last nickel that if you're going to serve here, I'm going to push you to be a missionary. Because that's what the Bible pushes us to do. He says there, proclaim the message or preach the word. Kerus, uh, kerios lagos. I'm sorry, let me say that again. Keruso lagos. Keruso lagos is what that means. What that, phrase would be in the Greek. And I want to give you this definition because I love this. If you combine the words and you combine the definitions, it means to herald as a public crier the divine truth of the gospel. To preach, to publish, or to announce the gospel. So why do I give you that whole definition? Why do I break it down? Because to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel can be done in a multitude of ways. 
Some people do that better by singing. Some people do that better by witnessing. Some people do that better by uh, hospital ministry, by t- taking a casserole dish to a neighbor, by praying over a coworker, uh, by preaching the gospel, by teaching a Sunday school class. Some teach older couples and, and older youth uh, uh, groups, and then some teach youth, and some teach college, and some teach uh, children in preschool. But there's a multitude of ways to find where you can be a proclaimer of the gospel, a caruso lagos, a preacher of the word. The main way you do it is by the way you live your life. You share Jesus every day on your social media. If I follow you on social media and I know who your favorite football team is, what your favorite actor is or style of movie, who your favorite singer is, where you went on the weekend, but I don't know who you belong to, then you got a problem. Because you are supposed to be preaching the word on your social media. If your coworker doesn't know that you belong to Jesus, you've got a problem because you're supposed to be preaching the gospel at your work. If your neighbor doesn't know that you are, are a follower of Christ, you've got a problem because they're supposed to see you preaching the gospel by the way you live your life. There's an old uh, uh, idiom that says, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when, when necessary, use words. Well, I've got news for you, church. It's always necessary. You've got to preach the gospel by the way you live your life, but you've got to tell people why you're living your life that way. And that's how you preach the gospel, by saying, I'm doing this because I have been changed by the love of Christ. I've been called from death to life, and I'm trying to share Jesus with everybody I know so they can enjoy the same blessings that I have, having come from being a dead person to being alive in Christ Jesus. Our mission is to share Jesus with everyone we meet in whatever way we can and by whatever means we have. The primary point is that our lives should be spent sharing Jesus. And then Paul goes on to explain why that's such an important mission in verses 3 and 4 when he says um, uh, that the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. So what he's saying is that people won't demand the truth anymore. They'll actually run from it. They'll actually want something that's not the truth because the truth is problematic. The the truth is hard to digest. And it says they're going to seek people to scratch their ears for something new. Or or one translation says to have their ears tickled, which is kind of gross for me. But but that's what it's saying. Now listen, I want to be clear about this, and I'm not not going to give you the entire Greek breakdown. I know some of y'all are terribly disappointed. Well, one of y'all. But... (laughs) And I don't want to be crass about this. I'm just going to tell you, if you take the actual Greek and you break down the Greek words and how it says this here, it actually equates these people longing for a non-truth message or not wanting to hear the truth of the gospel, rather hearing something that makes them feel better about themselves. It equates that with sexual lust. Now think about that for a minute. The same same fleshly drive that draws people into pornography and prostitution and all this terrible stuff the Bible calls pornea, sexual immorality. The same thing that draws people to cheat on a spouse, to, to, to have sex outside of marriage, the same draw that that is, the same like in our, coded into our fleshly DNA that draws us into that, that's the same thing that draws us away from the Scripture, that draws us into trying to hear something that's not the truth of the gospel. That's a pretty powerful force. And that's why he's warning against it. That's why he's saying in the last days, there are going to be people who will not tolerate it. Y'all, I know people like that today. There's a lot of churches across the country that are going to get up today and tell you how to be a better father in three steps. How to be a better husband in four steps. How to be a better wife in 
Well, no, nobody's preaching that. But there's still, there's a lot of messages being preached across the country that's basically trying to tell you how to maximize your life now. How to have your best life now. Let me tell you something. If your best life is now, you're going to burn in hell for all eternity because I promise you, heaven is better than your best life now. We should stop worrying about living our best life now and trying to pour ourselves out for the gospel of Jesus Christ so we can enjoy eternity in heaven. The Bible says we get about 80 years. That's what it tells us. After the flood, after the fall, all the stuff that's happened, we get to it and he goes, all right, look, you get about 80 years. I won't hear any grumbling, complaining. You get about 80 years, plus or minus. If you stack that 80 years right here, maybe it's like this, okay? And then if you were to stack eternity over here next to it, how high would that go? Infinite. It just keeps going. You can never see the top of it. So look at me. Why are we spending all our time and energy and money and concern about this little stack? And meanwhile, we've got this whole life ahead of us in eternity with Christ. And we're not giving one thought to that. God, I'll get around to doing what you tell me to do when I get old and feeble. I'll get around to doing what you told me to do when I get tired of living what I want to live and doing what I want to do. I've got to be up at the mountains and down at the lake and I've got to keep up with the Joneses and I've got to buy the next new shiny thing. We're like a bunch of raccoons just walking through the woods looking for something shiny to try to grab. And the whole time we're doing that, we're working on this little bitty stack. And all of eternity is stacked up here and we're ignoring it. That's what we're up against when we say that we're going to share Jesus in a way that's consistent with the Bible. And that's why it's just so important that we do just that. You're going to make people mad if you share Jesus. You're going to make people mad if you tell them that the way they want to live is not biblical, it's not moral, it's not proper, and it's not going to get them into heaven. But I'd a whole lot more want somebody to be mad at me for trying to get them out of hell than to be standing at judgment and look over at them and see them look at me and going, you never told me. They're heading the other way from me and they're going, you never told me. You never told me that I could avoid this. You never told me I could have all of that. That's what we're called to do. If it makes them mad, let them be mad. At least maybe they'll be mad on their way to heaven instead of being happy on their way to hell. The first thing this passage tells us is to share Jesus. The second thing I believe it tells us is to show Jesus. Look at verse 5. But as for you, and then he says these things that I love the way he says it. Keep a clear head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Here's what I want you to get from this. I'm going to talk a lot more. Y'all know that. But I want you to get, like, spoiler alert, here's here's the meat. The sermon of a sacrificial life is one that is hard to preach but impossible to ignore. The sermon of a sacrificial life is one that is hard to preach, but impossible to ignore. Let's look at, uh, as we always do, when you want, if you want to see how to be a man, let's go look at what it looked like when God did it. So let's look at what Jesus said. In John 5, 36, he said this. He's talking about John the Baptist here. And he tells them, he says, but I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish. These very works I'm doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. You see, Jesus' words here explain His mission on the earth, and that same calling is placed upon all of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. 
Our actions will show others our relationship with Christ and in the process will bear witness to him. Jesus said, I've got a greater testimony than John. And Jesus said that we would do greater works than him because we're all going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How could he say that? He brought dead people back to life. Let me tell you something. Every time you share the gospel and somebody confesses Christ, you brought somebody from death to life. But he healed the blind. Let me tell you something. You get somebody to see Jesus, you've taken the scales off their eyes. The work that God gave to Jesus for him to finish is similar to the work that Jesus called us to in the Great Commission and what we see throughout the New Testament. You see, the world wants you to know or wants you to believe that when you tell people that they can do whatever they want to do, that you accept them as they are, that that's love. But that's not biblical love. I am so thankful today that God allowed me to come into his presence and confess my sins the way I was. But I want you to hear me. I am so much more thankful that he loved me enough not to leave me like I was. I don't like me now. I really don't like what I was then. Nobody here would like old Kev. But because of the power of Christ, because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, God changed me. It's what that song said. He, 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 he just radically turned me around. He gave me a new name. And I thank the Master because I don't want to be what I was. Because what I was was dead in my sins and trespasses. He made me alive. He changed me. He gave me a new name. He gave me a new calling. He made me pleasing to Him. You see, real love requires some change. The biggest misconception that young couples have going into marriage, and April and I talk to every young couple, if you've been through our pre-marriage counseling, you've heard what I'm about to say. Every couple deals with the same problem. There are two lies that they believe. The men believe that they're going to marry this woman and she's never going to change. And the women believe they're going to marry this man and change him. I see a lot of married people nodding and smiling. Those are both lies, amen? Why? Because we're all, I hope I'm changing. Good grief. I hope I hadn't made it to 48 and I hadn't figured out some stuff that I was doing at 28 that I need to fix. I hope that April doesn't have to put up with me being the same hard-headed thing that I am now. I hope I'm growing. I hope I'm better than I was 20 years ago. And if the Lord tarries and I live 20 more years, I hope to God I'm better 20 years from now than I am today. We should not want to be the same. We should want to change. We should want to grow into the likeness of Christ because that's what He's given us. That's what He's given us the opportunity to do by filling us with the Holy Spirit. That growth and that change should be reflected in how we show Jesus to others. And in, as we grow in Him, our lives more closely resemble His. And part of the way we do that is by getting into this Word. You've heard me say it. I want you to get into the Word until the Word gets into you. Let me just do a little, a little encouraging commercial here this morning. If you're doing the Read the Bible plan with us this, this year, today marks one-third of the way through. So I want you to hear me. I know that... First and Second Kings could be tough to read. I know there's been some other places where it's a little slow. Isaiah is one of my favorite books. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind. If you're not caught up, get caught up. Don't quit. If you're, if, you're, if you're caught up with us and you're just getting exhausted, don't quit. Church, I want to see us make it through this whole thing together. I want to see what God does through all of his people reading his word together through the course of this year. So I, let me just encourage you, stay with it. We're a third of the way there. You can stand on your head for two more thirds. 
So we need to share Jesus, we need to show Jesus, but also, and, and, and this is kind of a summation of the first two, is we need to serve Jesus. Look at verses 6 and 7. If you look at verse 5 where Paul says, but as for you, verse 6 begins with him almost saying, but as for me. He's saying, but as for you, you do this. And then he says, but as for me, what does he say? My life's being poured out. Everything is in the past tense. I have fought. I have finished. I have kept. He's showing the comparison between us and him, and he's telling us how to go about living our mission, then explaining that he's at the end of his. As we share and show Jesus, we are serving Jesus. And if we're to serve him well, we must follow his example. Look at Matthew 20, 28. One of the most shocking verses that Jesus ever, or statements that Jesus ever uttered, in my opinion. Uh, Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. What? He's the Son of God. He's holy. He's perfect. He's just and righteous. And He's sinless. And yet He came to earth to serve, not to be served. And it goes on to say, and to give His life a ransom for many. If you're here this morning, you know Jesus, He gave His life he, as a ransom for you. You were held captive. You were enslaved. You were in exile in sin and death, and He ransomed you by His blood. He gave His life to ransom you. We serve others best by making sure our lives count most for the kingdom. Not for individuals, not for ourselves, but for the kingdom. By the time Paul writes this letter, it's, by the way, his last letter, his last epistle uh, we have in Scripture before his execution. He has already been tortured, imprisoned, shipwrecked, snake bit, stoned by an angry mob, and just generally hounded beyond belief. You can go to 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 33 and read all that Paul went through. I'm not going to read that this morning for time's sake, but when you get a chance, go read that. 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 through 33, and look at all that Paul suffered. He's been a follower of Christ for a little over 30 years, and he's made monumental impacts on the world. So he is a good person to listen to, listen to for advice on how to follow Jesus. But notice that he says he's already being poured out. He's near death, and yet he has no regrets and is asking for no relief. I'm telling you, if I wrote letters to Wemo like Paul wrote to the other churches we see in the New Testament, it'd be a short letter, Taryn. It'd be, send help, or get me a better lawyer, or get Erica to bake me a cake and stick a file in it so I can get out of here. I would not be writing letters like he's writing saying, hey, be encouraged. I'm good. Hey, fam, I'm good. I got all I need right here. Y'all keep spreading the gospel. Y'all keep making disciples. Y'all keep looking out for each other. I'm good. Because you ain't good, you're in prison. That's what my heart says. That's what my mind says. But then I realize in my spirit, he is good because you can't imprison him because he's been set free by the blood of Jesus. He'll never be kept in prison because he's already free. And so that's why he can write these letters. And that's why he can say things like, I'm already being poured out, but it's okay. I have fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my race. One of the hardest things there is to do in life is to finish well. There's countless examples that I can go to in my life and see where people had a great ministry and then they stumbled and they, they ruined it. They had a great testimony, but then they had some big open uh, sin that people saw and found out about, maybe something they were hiding for years. Uh, there's just all this stuff. And it, by the way, uh, the news media, let me, y'all do me a favor. Let's just turn off all news. 
I know people would like the local news stations, if they see this, they're going to be mad. But be mad. I don't care. You don't know me. And I don't know you. Turn it all off because here's what they do. They focus on getting you scared and making you mad. That's all they want to do. They want you to be afraid and they want you to be angry. And when they get you to do that, you'll watch. Oh, I've got to watch. I've got to find out what I'm supposed to be mad about today. Ooh, I've got to be watching. I've got to watch. I can't miss a show. I can't miss a, a, a minute of this 24-hour nonstop litany of breaking news because I've got to see what I need to be scared of today. Let me tell you something. If you want to see people fail, you'll have plenty of opportunities because if you, if you do well, they're not going to put you on headline news. They're not going to put you on Fox, on the ticker, or, or MSNBC. But if you make a mistake, if you, if you claim Christ and you stumble, I promise you they're going to come make headlines about it. That's why it's more important than ever for us to finish well. My goal, my life, my focus is, is not just to be a good dad, a good husband, a good minister, a good pastor. It isn't to live well for a short time. It isn't to live well for a long time. It's to live well as long as I'm here and to make sure that whatever I do, I finish well. I want my testimony to be, he wasn't much, but he was as good as he could be. He was all he could make out of it his whole life. And he loved Jesus to his dying breath. If I'm laying in a hospital room and I got tubes sticking out of me and I'm, I'm like Paul, I'm, my life's being poured out as a drink offering, I want to lead the nurses to Jesus. Because that's what I'm here to do. I'm not here to make a name for myself. I'm here to point to the only name. The name that is above every name. The name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess about. The only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We need to make sure that we finish well. So we need to share Jesus, show Jesus, serve Jesus. And then verse 8 tells us what will happen if we do that. We will, listen. We'll see Jesus. If you look at what happened to Paul, again, I mentioned that verse, 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 33. If you look at all that and you read everything that, you, that he went through, you might ask how in the world he kept going. How could he write this letter, Jamie? If he had been through all of that stuff, how did he not quit? I want to quit now and I ain't been flogged or shipwrecked or none of that stuff. There's days when I want to quit now. How did Paul do it? Here it is. Here it is. I believe we find the answer in this verse of this last letter he wrote. He knows that because he's lived a life of abandon and obedience for Christ, that he has a reward awaiting him in eternity. You've heard me say it a lot, but I'll say it again here. You will never, ever run into anybody in heaven that says it wasn't worth it, Stephanie. Whatever it is they had to go through, whatever pain and suffering their life held, you won't find one of them that will say, ah. If I had known it was just going to be this, I'd have probably just went the other way. Paul knows what is awaiting him. He knows he's going to have his head cut off. I believe supernaturally or just because he, had, he was very familiar with the penal system in Rome, he'd been arrested enough times, maybe he just kind of was reading tea leaves on this experience and going, you know, I don't think they're going to let me out this time. Maybe supernaturally this, the Holy Spirit had said, hey, Paul, buddy, this is your last ride, hoss. This is your last in, uh, incarceration. They're going to do you in. I don't know exactly how he knew, but I know that he knew. And when he wrote this letter, I believe that in his spirit, he was convinced that this was it. And yet his cry was not, poor me. His cry was not, it's not fair. His cry was, I got a crown. I got a crown. 
Then there's this detail in here that, that it's unbelievable. Really honestly, I can't believe it's in my Bible. Did you catch it? Anybody catch it when I read it earlier? This, this unbelievable detail. Listen, listen to what he says. In the future, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness. Well, yeah, Paul. Go read in St. Corinthians all that junk that happened to you. Yeah. You, you're talking about the world's greatest missionary, Grace? You're talking about the greatest church planner that's ever lived? You're talking about the guy who wrote half the New Testament? Is that the guy you're talking about? The guy who saw Jesus, met him on the Damascus Road, was struck blind and knocked off his donkey? Three days later, the, sh- the, the scales fell off and he went right to work? He put on his work boots and his gloves and went down and started sharing what had happened to him. Let me tell you about all the stuff that God told me. Let me tell you about this experience I had when I met Jesus. You're talking about that, Paul? Yeah, that's the guy. Well, of course he gets a crown. Duh! That's the most rhetorical thing written in Scripture. Paul gets a crown. Ooh, newsflash. But then look what it says. I can't believe this is in here. Not only to me... But to all those who have loved his appearing. Please tell me that's in your Bible, that I didn't get some secondhand factory second Bible that's got something in there that Kev's gonna get a crown? You've gotta be kidding me. Look at the words there. Agapao epiphania. That's the that's the Greek. I know it doesn't care, but it's cool to me. Here's what it means. To regard with strong affection the advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. So what, that, what that's saying, all those who loved his appearing, that means all those who regarded with strong affection the first time he came as a virgin-born son of God and then the next time he's going to come. And listen to me, the little baby in the manger ain't coming back, church. The king is coming. If you loved his first appearing and you're not looking forward to his second, you've missed the point of Christmas. If you loved his second, if you're waiting for his second appearing, but you didn't love his first appearing, you're going to have a bad day. You have bet on the wrong horse. You're not understanding the life that we're called to live. But if you love the first appearance and the soon second appearance of Jesus Christ, you have got a crown waiting for you in eternity. That's a beat, that beats a diploma, doesn't it? Some of y'all graduating seniors, y'all going to be so excited to walk across that stage and get you a little piece of paper. Let me tell you something. I've done all that I'm going to do, but one of these days, I'm going to walk across another stage, and I'm going to get something better than a diploma. I'm going to get a crown of righteousness. And you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to take it and lay it at the feet of my Jesus because he's the only reason I deserve it. I didn't deserve it before he took my life over. I didn't deserve it before he changed my name and changed my focus and made me from death into life. I'm going to give it to him. I cannot believe this is in it. It's incredible to me. After all Paul went through, that he gets a crown makes perfect sense. I've suffered nothing compared to Paul. And yet, if I serve the Lord well and I finish well, I get a crown. What a good God we serve, church. So let me close with this. If we will be true to the calling that Jesus modeled for us and then gave to us, we will fight the good fight, we will finish our race, and we will receive our crown. However, here's the warning. The crown does not go to just everybody. You see, heaven is not a participation trophy. It's a winner's circle. You don't just get there for playing. You have to play by the rules. 1 Corinthians 9 24 through 25 says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? 
Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away. But we, a crown that will never fade away. See, look at me. Stay with me for just another minute. This whole earth, this whole world, this whole thing is one big stadium. And every man, woman, boy, and girl inside that stadium is a runner. We're all running. We're all in the same stadium. We're all in the same race. By the way, there's no multiple races. There's one race, the human race. And we're all running it. But not all of us are going to get a crown. Not all of us are going to break the tape and win. Only those who run by the rules. And what are the rules? The rules are you have to submit to Christ. You have to admit you're a sinner, believe in Christ, and confess your sins to Him, and then accept the Lordship of Christ over you. By the way, you don't make Him Lord. He's already Lord. Don't, don't get out of your lane a little bit there, okay? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not one of those that likes to split hairs over how we say it. I accepted Jesus. Hey, listen, He don't need your acceptance. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He ain't, he ain't twiddling His thumbs and biting His fingernails worried about you accepting Him. Here's what you got to do. you got to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. God made him Lord, you don't. God accepted him, you, you don't. You surrender to him and you say, you are Jesus, you are the Son of God, I believe in you and I confess my sins to you and I want you to save me, cover me with your blood, fill me with your spirit and I want to serve you every day of my life. If we're going to finish well and see Jesus, we have to run hard and we have to run well. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to give you the kind of the Kevin paraphrase of this. Y'all have all heard it a hundred times, I know. But here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. He says that uh, since we're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, and that means the ones who have gone on and the ones who are still here encouraging you on the earth, we're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses. We've got to get shed of everything that slows us down. We've got to cut the rope not only in our, in our budget, we've got to cut the rope in our life. Anything that's dragging you down, anything that's slowing you down and keeping you from following Jesus, that's a relationship, that's a habit, that's something you look at or something you think about, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to get shed of it. Get it off of you. Get the weight off of you so you can run better. And then we've got to get rid of this sin that so easily entangles us and snares us. It's like you, when you have sin in your life, you are laying bear traps around your racetrack. It's dumb. It's counterintuitive. Every night you sin, you get out and you lay out bear traps, and the next day you're trying to run your race without stepping in one and getting entangled and ensnared by it. So we've got to run the race. We've got to run it without the weight. We've got to run it without the trips. How do we do that? By keeping our eyes on Jesus and following the example of Jesus. And why do we do that? Because He is the author and perfecter the author and the finisher of our faith. If you want to finish well, you have to live well. And if you want to live well, you have to live for Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know what that means, if you say, Brother Kevin, I have all that stadium stuff and running and I ain't running, look at me. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to, you know, you do you and I'll do me and I'm just trying to get through this life. Here's the problem with that. That kind of thinking ends you up in hell, separated from God for an eternity. Whether you're 8 or 88 or 108, it doesn't matter. If you want to finish well, you have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can run the race, and that's the only way you can run by the rules, and that's the only way you're going to get a crown. 
If you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ, would you do that today? And you say, well, usually it gets everybody closed their eyes. Nope, ain't no closing eyes today. The sinless Son of God hung naked, hung naked on a cross for you. You can walk down here in front of a bunch of people who want you to succeed, who want to see you come to Christ. You can do that today. If you're here today and you know that if you died today, you'd go to hell, would you just come talk to me right now? Just move right now. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't listen to the devil telling you, oh, you just, just stay where you are. You're good. You're fine. He didn't know what he's talking about. No, he doesn't know what he's talking about. The Bible could not be more clear. There's no gray area on salvation. It's crystal clear. If you need to know Christ, don't leave here today without coming and talking to me. If you're here today and you say, Brother Kevin, I'm running. I'm running my race, but I'm not running well. I've got some of those weights on me you talked about. I've got some of those bear traps in my way because I, I have sin in my life. I want to get shed of all that. I want to put all that off, and I want to run better for Jesus. If you want to come talk to me today about rededicating your life to Christ, making a fresh commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do that now. If you say, Brother Kevin, I, I, I'm doing all that stuff. I love the Lord. I'm following Christ. I'm serving Him. I'm running my race, but I'm not connected to a church family. I want to talk to you about being a member of West Mobile Baptist Church. You can do that today. But y'all know what I'm going to say. It's all about obedience. Whatever the Spirit of God is prompting you to do today, you have one opportunity to be instantly obedient, and that is right now. I'm going to ask you to stand, and when you stand, you be instantly obedient. Let's stand. Instant obedience all around the room. If the Spirit is moving you to do something, you do it right now while we sing.